Let's begin with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. So the disciples had been traveling with Jesus for quite a while, and they had seen Jesus do miracles. Demons had been cast out. The lame could walk. The blind could see. The deaf could hear. He made tuna fish sandwiches for 20,000 people. And yet, they did not feel that they could do the things that Jesus said they could do. So what does Jesus say? He says, well, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to the sycamore tree, be planted in the sea, and off it would go. And you know the disciples, just like us, are going like, yeah, right, Jesus. We could all do that. Let's try it right now. Well, I don't think it's about the mustard seed. My son and I had lunch this week, and he's Episcopalian. Now, I don't know if you know about Episcopalians. They baptize babies. We're Baptists. We baptize believers. Babies are believers. Now, you know there's no second question when you get to heaven. Did you know Jesus? Yes. Were you baptized as a baby? Or There's no second question. But the theological question is this. Who does the work in baptism? See, your, your baby baptizers, they believe that God is welcoming the, the baby in. The baby has, no, they cannot say, I believe in Jesus, take me in. So that God, in their opinion, is doing the work in baptism. And they actually are called a provisionary member of the Lutheran or the Catholic or the Methodist, the Episcopalian church. Whereas we believe that we're doing the work in baptism, and it's not an insult, we are stepping into the faith, right? I've given my heart to Jesus. I want to be part of the community of faith, and this is my outward demonstration. Well, the same question happens when we get to faith in miracles. Who does the work in the miracle? Now, I don't know about you. I can't do miracles. I can do really bad magic tricks. We've seen those. I can make knots disappear off a rope and the occasional uh, uh, handkerchief disappear and come back. But that's about the extent of my miraculous ability. So as I'm preparing for this sermon, it occurred to me that there is a template that every one of these disciples knew. There is a pattern of how faith grows in an individual. And it was one of those... uh, Holy Spirit inspiration moments. It just went, pow. So I want you to think about this. Several thousand years ago, Jacob took his family to Egypt. And God blessed them while they were in Egypt. And they got to be, some people believe, to be one and a half to two million strong. So strong that Pharaoh said, you know what? These people could rise up and overwhelm us. We're going to make them slaves. And they instantly made all the Hebrew slaves And they put into work building those great monuments in Egypt. And God still blessed the Hebrews. So you remember Pharaoh called the midwives and he said, I I want you to kill all the babies. And the midwives wouldn't do it. And they kept saying, well, those Israelite, those Hebrew women are so strong and so sturdy. We get there. They already had the baby and they're back to work. We, We can't kill the babies. Well, he's still insisting, and then one mom has a baby, and this baby is gorgeous. The Bible says he was a beautiful baby. Now, I don't know about you, but most babies are beautiful babies, but this one gets special mention in the Bible, and 
His mom raises him until he's a little bit too big for her to hide anymore. And you know the story. She puts him in a basket. She floats him down the Nile River. Who finds him but Pharaoh's daughter? Now, I don't know if you know this, but Moses means pulled out or drawn out. His name actually declared the miracle that his mom set him afloat in a basket and he didn't drown. He was saved for a purpose. And he's raised in the court of Pharaoh, which means more than any other Hebrew he could read and write, which is very important because my wife asked me yesterday, she said, who wrote the first five books? And I said, well, Moses. And she said, really? I said, dear, he went to Egyptian school. He was the only one who knew how God prepared him for that. But we're not there yet. Moses grows up, comes to a realization that he is Hebrew and tries to start his own revolution. You heard the story. He sees a, an Egyptian slave beating a Hebrew and he kills the Hebrew. He took God's will into his own hands. Never a good idea. I need at least one amen. There we go. Never a good idea. In fear, because people saw this happen, he runs away to Midian and he spends 40 years hiding from the will of God as a shepherd. Now God has his hand on Moses. And we know that Moses is going to part the Red Sea and he's going to cause darkness. We're not there yet. Right now, he's just a plain old 80-year-old shepherd. I don't know about you, but I'm not sure I want to be shepherding when I'm 80 years old. But Moses is an 80-year-old shepherd. He's out with the sheep, and what happens? He sees a burning bush. He says, well, ain't that strange? And he walks over, and the burning bush talks to him. Moses, it says, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. And the burning bush calls him to be the savior of Israel. And what does he do? He says, not me. I can't talk. I'm a chicken. Don't take me. And God says, fine. Your brother Aaron's on the way, but you're going. Do you hear what's happening? Moses has about a quarter inch of faith. Maybe not even the size of a mustard seed. He went to see this bush that was burning and not consumed. And God begins to plant the seeds of faith. Then he says what? He says, well, throw down your staff. And the staff becomes a serpent. And Moses is shocked by that, as would we be. And he says, well, what if they don't believe that? He says, put your hand in your coat. Bring it out. It's leprous. Put it in. It's clean. Now we've got a little bit more faith. He goes to Pharaoh and he shows Pharaoh his new miraculous tricks that God gave him. And Pharaoh says, I got guys can do that. What does God say? Well, Pour out the water and it'll turn into blood. Now, can you imagine the fear that Moses had? Because he never practiced this trick. See, the first two tricks, he got to practice in the wilderness. This one, God says, just go and do it. If it were me, I might have taken a cup of water and gone out in my backyard and said, okay, Lord, is this really going to work? Right? And he takes that little bit of water and it turns all the water in Egypt to blood. Do you hear the faith growing? Then we got frogs, we got lice, we got boils, we got darkness, we got hail. And each miracle gets bigger and bigger and affects more people until he gets to the place where he says, watch this, Pharaoh. This plague is going to affect only the Egyptians and not the Hebrews. So now he's got like specificity of miracles until finally that horrible miracle at the end where all the Israelites put the blood on the door and the angel of death comes and kills the firstborn 
If you had said to Moses on the day of the burning bush, this is what's going to happen, he would have said, not in a million years. But we're not done. It's like one, one of those horrible infomercials. But wait, there's more. Now the entire one and a half to two million Israelites are leaving Egypt. They get out of the city and Pharaoh says, you know what? That's a big mistake. We're going to go get them back. And now the chariots of the mightiest army in the world that day are chasing the Israelites. And they come up to the Red Sea. And Moses holds up his arms. And the cloud comes and the wind comes. And they walk through on the Red Sea. Do you hear the faith growing? Think back to the burning bush. He couldn't have done it back then. Then we got manna. We got water out of a rock. We've got quail. We've got the sun standing still. But it all started where? At the burning bush with that little tiny bit. Moses isn't the only one. There was another shepherd. Maybe God likes shepherds. A little shepherd boy was watching the sheep and a wolf came along. He killed the wolf. And a lion came along. He killed the lion. And a bear came along. And he killed the bear. And then a nine-foot giant came along. And he said to the giant, my Lord has helped me kill a lion and a bear. You are nothing. And with one little smooth stone, changed the course of Israel. God says through Jesus, if you have that faith of a mustard seed, if you just listen to what the Lord is saying through your own personal burning bush, what do you have to do to see? You have to water it. You have to fertilize it. What do you water it with? You water it with the fellowship of God. What do you fertilize it with? With the word of God. You, you work on it together and you watch it grow. And then what happens? The mustard plant grows more mustard seeds. Now, I, I read one of the commentaries where the guy spent the whole sermon talking about all the things we don't use mustard seeds for anymore. I think he missed the point. It's not the seed... It's the growing. Now, I, I, I wrestled with my son on this because I don't want you to hear that you have to work at your faith. Right? God says, I love you. I sent my son to die for you. Enter into this relationship and salvation is yours. You do not have to work out your salvation. Jesus died for you. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sim had left a guilty stain. He washed it white as snow. But the journey from that point on is just that. It's a journey. We have to travel with the Holy Spirit, with the Word of God, and look for the mighty, exciting things to happen. So the story is told of a little girl who wandered off. She wandered off to the neighboring farmer's forest. And, uh, of course, everybody started looking for her. There was, you know... I don't know if you've ever had a lost child in your community. It creates a great stir, great concern. And they were looking for the child. And the farmer came across her just sitting on a stump in the forest, saying her ABCs. A, B, C, D, E, F. He said, little girl. She said, I knew you would come. He said, what? She said, I prayed. He said, what? She said, I prayed to God that... You would come because it's your land and you would find me. He said, you weren't praying. You were saying the ABC. She says, well, you know, I can't spell. 
So I just said all the letters of the alphabet and I knew God would figure out the message. <laughs> That's where we are. Who does the work in the miracle? God does the work in the miracle. Friends, I think we don't ask God enough to do miracles. If we ask him, we don't let him do the miracles. We try to take over ourselves. We don't trust him to do the miracles. And then when the miracles actually happen, we are reticent to share the miracle because we think people will look at us funny. So I, I was uh, reading this story, and it, it really stuck with me. Have you ever driven through Pennsylvania or West Virginia or Tennessee and the, the tunnels go right through the bottom of the mountains? Now, I know about you, but when I was a little boy, I was always afraid that, like, how do they know this is going to stay up? And I figured we'd get halfway through the tunnel and we'd be pancakes. But what an what a engineering marvel it is that they just blasted their way through the middle of the mountain. Then you have to ask yourself, which was more important, the fuse or the dynamite? Who did the work in blasting the way through? Because the dynamite doesn't go off without the fuse, but the fuse can't do anything on its own. I think that faith for us, friends, is the fuse, and God is the dynamite. And yet, most of us have not plugged into that power of God. Most of us aren't asking or letting or trusting or witnessing to the miracles of God, and then our fuse just fizzles out. We say, well, we don't have faith. We're not giving God the opportunity to let our faith grow I worked for a ministry once, and I have to say that they needed me. In fact, I uh, went to a board meeting. I wasn't hired yet, and I said to the board, you either need to hire me or die. They said, what? I said, here's my resume. I stood up. I handed it out to the board members, and they said, why, are you, why do you think we should hire you? And I said, well, here's the deal. You run a ministry. You run a program. Everybody waits until the last minute. You do a, a poor job, and then you pray like crazy that the Holy Spirit will bless the work you did, and then you celebrate that the Holy Spirit did it. I said, that's not the way the kingdom of God is supposed to work. We are supposed to be faithful laborers in the field, and I believe that I can steer this ministry in such a way that we can expect the help of the Holy Spirit, but we have to do some of the work on our own. They said, could you leave the room? I said, Sure. I came back in, they said, how much do you want? And I told them what I made at, at another job for ministry, and they said, we'll match that. We'll give you 10 hours a week. I said, what? They said, 10 hours a week, and if you do well, then we'll give you 15, and then we'll give you 20. So when I came on board, there were 20 churches involved, and they were living literally month to month. Three years later, the job had become full-time, and I couldn't take it anymore. I had to step down. But when I left, there were 400 churches involved, and we had a half a million dollars in the bank. People were literally throwing money at this ministry. Not because of anything I did, but because I taught them that out of acorns, mighty oaks grow. You have to do the work of faith. Now, I am sorry to say that when I left... Many of the board members went, boy, I'm sure glad he's gone. And they went back to doing exactly what they had done before I joined. 
and within three years the ministry was gone. It no longer exists. When my son was called into ministry, he said, Dad, how do you handle that? How do you handle knowing that there's the potential there and that the people killed it? I said, son, when we stand in front of this seat of grace, I'm not going to be responsible for killing that ministry. I'm responsible for growing that ministry. I said, that's, that's all God can ask for any of us. So here's the question. What is God calling you to grow? Because ministry requires means. Ministry has a cost. It requires resources and time and effort and energy. Evangelism requires effort. If nobody tells people about Jesus, how are they going to know? Preaching, here, this requires a purpose. And you know my purpose. I've said it many times. I'm going to heaven, and I'm taking as many people with me as I can. Teaching, here, this requires tenacity. It is difficult and I'll get an amen at least from Wiki and from Danny, it is difficult every week to dive in and have something interesting and inspiring to say. Teaching requires tenacity. You know what faith requires? Following the example of Jesus. I'm sorry to say, friends, it has nothing to do with the mustard seed. So are you practicing? Are you growing Are you using the faith that God has given you? Are you sharing that faith? Do you sometimes feel as though you have no faith and that your tank is empty? Have you yet to embark on a journey to find that faith with Jesus? After we sing, uh, blessed be the tie that binds after communion, our first pew is open. And if you would like to talk or pray or counsel about any of those things, our pastors, our deacons would love the opportunity to pray with you. And today we move to the Lord's Supper because it's, it's Worldwide Communion Sunday. And you know that speaks to my heart. On this day, every church around the world celebrates the banquet of God together. Amen. Give us one more second.